Welcome to the Philosophy Podcast, where host and lacrosse expert Jamie Monroe will do what he does best, talk about lacrosse. Each episode will provide listeners with education, insights, stories, and lessons about the lacrosse world. We will discuss current events, coaching, philosophies, and college lacrosse recruiting. Now let's get started with your host, Jamie Monroe. Everybody, I'm so excited to introduce Chip Davis, the head lacrosse coach at Deerfield Academy and also um, admissions director and um, is relatively new in that role, right? You were AD for a long time and now you've moved over to admissions, which is a good thing. I'm sure it's really interesting for you. Um, And you're an expert on prep schools and you're an expert on why they are really beneficial for kids and what the experiences are all about. And I'm really excited to hear your opinions on this. Yeah, well, it's good to be here, Jamie. Thank you. Um, I'm, a, I'm a big consumer of your webinar content, so happy to give back. And yeah, it's um, the admission role for me is it's, I'm in year four, was an AD for 10 years, was a full-time teacher before that. So a lot of, a lot of pivots in one school, um, some, some reasonable you know, uh, perspectives on boarding school. And uh, I thought we would just kind of kick it off about what, you know, what's the transformative magic of boarding school, just to uh, offer a value proposition for that. And then we can get into more of the uh, application process, how lacrosse fits in. The Philacrosophy podcast is made possible in part by the JM3 video assessment tool. There's no question that video is critical to player development. One way or another, your son or daughter must utilize video to learn their game and the game. To learn more, see video testimonials, or register, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash video right now. Uh, in my job, it's an interesting pair of hats to wear as dean and coach, and um, you gotta be you got to be smart about how you go about that um, yeah. when it comes to recruiting. So what you always hear with um, – you know, the, the boarding school pitch is usually about the scale of, um, you know, a transformative uh, education, meaning I'm a, I'm a product of uh, both public school and a day school environment. Um, and the advantage that day schools would offer is that you get to sort of pursue a la carte, you know, what you want to do. And, and there are things close to home or close to school that you can uh, partake in club lacrosse being one of them, tutors, uh, skating lessons, etc. I think what boarding schools offer is uh, the idea of one-stop shopping. Um, that that just about everything you ha- you need uh, is here, and um, the efficiency gained in that allows you to uh, explore. You know, as a student, to say. I might have some things when I'm 14 or 16 or 18 that I know I want to pursue long-term in our setting here. That's lacrosse. We understand that, but um, boarding schools are uh, diverse global places that, uh, you know, bring this kind of microcosm of the world together and uh, offer you the student, um, you know, kind of independence within a structured environment. And I think that's pretty neat. Um, I think that's why I keep emphasizing the word transformative because all too often life is getting 
what we would call in the business transactional. You know, what's, what's my rate of return here? What are my college opportunities? Um, what's the value in it from a, um, an academic perspective, a, a recruiting perspective? Um, so it's, it's really in the unstructured moments at boarding school, the, the 24 seven residential, um, the idea of that your best friend is probably not a lacrosse teammate, but probably the kid on the, the, the ninth grade or postgraduate quarter that makes you laugh, you know, that may not have common interests. So, um, I just think that makes for a richer, thorough, um, experience that where lacrosse finds its place in that experience and um, certainly takes up some of your time, but affords you the time to do some pretty good personal exploration. Yeah, so. the, the, the point you made as it relates to uh, the independence through structure where, you know, you're, you give them, uh, you know, a safety net, but they're kind of out there on the tightrope, you know? I mean, I think that's incredibly valuable for kids in life. Yeah, I, I mean, a lot of, a lot of boarding schools and, and, and lots of independent schools have, you know, framing core values. And usually uh, I travel a lot for my admission role and most schools put their core values right out there. And the echo chamber that you hear between boarding schools and independent schools is something along the lines of citizenship and personal responsibility. Um, the notion of, you know, self-advocacy, self-help, but knowing that you have, um, you know, so maybe two, three, four, five champion adults in your life at boarding school, and they may play many roles for you. It may be the coach. It may be, um, you know, that Spanish teacher that you made a great connection with. It may be the, the dorm parent who lives on your hall, uh, maybe your advisor. So there, boarding schools are, are the structure of boarding schools is not prohibitive, but it's uh, the idea that there's support within that, you know, opportunity environment of exploration. So you may have particular uh, goals, uh, agendas, talents that you're bringing to that school, but um, most of the adults in your life at boarding school are actually going to encourage you to um, play to the knowns, but also explore the unknowns. Uh, makes a case for getting outside your comfort zone, maybe picking back up a sport that had to get sacrificed at home. Um, we hear that all too often in the admission realm about kids, you know, succumbing to the either demands or temptations of specialization. And uh, the scaling of boarding school kind of allows for that multiple participatory engagement. Yeah, no doubt. And you know, there's, when you talk about the core values, um, citizenship and personal responsibility and self-advocacy, and, and, and there's just, you know, tons of them. These are the, this is the culture that a school is building. Um, and it's not to replace mom and dad, but what it's, what you're trying to do though, is, is really scale a culture across a group, um, a school. And my question is, how do you look at that as it relates to, you know, it's not a replacement for mom and dad, but it, it's, it's not a bad option for teaching these types of things in, in, a, in a way that it's really uh, effective. And like you said, transformative. I, I think the pitch that schools are making to parents is that um, 
we're in partnership with parents and uh, of course in the in the process of researching the boarding school option right for your one or four of your secondary years um, you know parents want to know that the values of the school uh, align with their family values that's really important there are sectarian boarding schools non-sectarian boarding schools um, so you have to lead with your values um, and once the parents are understanding and supporting of the school's mission um, now you're kind of unleashing the student exploration to problem solve largely with peers not as much as you might believe under the direct guidance of adults the support of adults but a lot of what goes on and if you think about a practice or you think about a classroom a lot of, a lot of it's collaborative you know it's uh the, the the old school version of a lecture in a classroom might have its partner with kind of the you know coach directed enterprise on a practice field or in game situations i think what you're seeing coaches do more and more and this isn't unique to boarding schools perhaps college level you know junior level is uh more listening you know what what are you guys seeing out there uh what problems are you seeing in the the curricular challenge that I've posed to you. So if we're, we're in an environmental science class and we're engaging some, you know, scientific problem, we're going to lean on each other, right? It's more of a seminar format approach to problem solving. I think that that is seen and experienced uh, across curriculums, academic curriculum and athletics curriculum. So that's empowering you know, for kids to be 14, 16 years old and think that they have not only a stake in the ground at the school to kind of say this, I'm part of a community that's in many ways bigger than themselves. Um, it does promote a little notion of selflessness and team. And I mean team in the biggest sense of the word, not just, okay, once we move into a lacrosse season, that's obviously a team that's self-explanatory. But I think the, the habits of mind and practice that boarding schools inculcate helps, you know, the team sport experience be truly, um, you know, selfless and, and uh, a pledge to the, the greater concept of uh, a team dynamic. Let's talk specifically about why people choose boarding schools as lacrosse players. Um, you made a comment in our conversation before this call about how sometimes you know kids wake up and they're juniors and all of a sudden they got to be thinking about college and maybe a boarding school and being able to do a repeat year can be a really big advantage on a lot of different levels sure and and every kid has their own narrative and everyone's uh entry point into lacrosse is different um you know i picked up lacrosse literally at the end of middle school going into high school and i know that the the earlier engagement with all the avenues into the sport has uh, accelerated. And I think that's great. And we see more skill in the game. Um, some kids blossom as athletes earlier than later. So, you know, boarding schools offer entry points anywhere from ninth grade to postgraduate. We know there are junior boarding schools that serve a middle school market and often um, kids will get to the ninth or 10th grade and see what the landscape is in 
not only their high school varsity climate, but the club atmosphere and what recruiting, you know, looks like. And they'll say, I'm behind, you know, and I had this aspiration of uh, being, a, being a successful high school varsity player and perhaps moving on to college across at any level uh, to play. So the repeat year is an opportunity. Um, it's usually a family decision. It's not often a school decision. Um, there's certainly stereotypes and, and you know, um, assumptions that coaches will encourage it. And I'm not here to dis dissuade that idea, but um, usually it's a student saying, you know, I, I, I'd like more time for curricular opportunity, for athletic opportunity. So that may mean uh, a ninth grade year at home and it followed by a ninth grade year in a new school environment. It may mean an entry point in 10th or 11th grade. It may mean a postgraduate year. Uh, it's not what I've seen in my time in the, in the admission office um, at Deerfield is that it's not only the property of male students. You know, I, I see female students opting for a repeat year. Perhaps they have a sibling in a boarding school who says, you know, time moves quickly. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm on the cusp of the college process and they advise their younger siblings or their friends at home to slow the process down. So that kind of invites that conversation about the repeat year. Um, There's so many people that have so many different ideas about it that, you know, you shouldn't do it or you should do it. Or how about my, but my, my son or daughter are, are such great students. I, I'm not going to repeat a year and have them slow down academically. Yeah. I, I, I think the uh, most of us in the admission space and boarding schools are, we're here to disprove the old stereotypes that boarding school was something to offer a child who needed restructuring or academic rehabilitation. It's just simply not the case. The, the curriculum um, at a lot of these schools is really rich and is beyond AP level courses. Um, and placement opportunities for kids on the way into our schools, some of the disciplines are placement based often, you know, mathematics or language where a ninth grader, whether a new ninth grader or a repeat ninth grader, um, you know, might find him or herself in classes with juniors and seniors. And I think there's enough headroom in the curriculum, you know, at, at schools like ours that allows for research level classes, you know, a seventh year language class, a post AP science class, um, senior year electives in history or English that are unique to each school because they're teacher authored. So it's, I'm not worried about the, the, the concern about curricular redundancy. Um, you know, yeah, I, I suppose that a ninth grader who's coming into an English one class, which may be very skill focused, a more of a traditional English class, you know, reading quizzes and learn, you know, fundamental writing skills and whatnot. Sure, that may be a, a second lap around that track. Um, but a lot of schools are offering credit for what is appearing on a student's transcript from their old school. So that opens up more navigation through our curriculum, more freedom of exploration, less, you know, less, um, 
guardrails imposed on the student as to what he or she needs to take while at our schools? College coaches are regularly, you know, encouraging kids, you know, that are going to take a PG year to go to, you know, to, to a school like Deerfield. Um, do college coaches like having repeats on their team, do you think? I, I haven't heard an argument that's that works against the uh, bigger, faster, stronger, and perhaps more uh, rigorously prepared. And I mean that in the whole sense. Um, you know, the league that Deerfield's in is a it's a not only a strong academic association of schools, but really competitive lacrosse and college-bound players up and down a lot of these rosters. Um, I'm not making the claim that we we don't we don't mimic Division One because I know that's a different entity. You know, we're not there aren't morning practices and whatever's going on in the fall is is quite subservient to fall sports. You know, fall other forms of engagement on campuses. But um, you know, in the postgraduate realm, colleges will sometimes park kids as postgraduates that have junior year verbals, you know, at the, at the bigger programs. And other times kids by virtue of, of looking for that extra year are buying themselves time out there in the showcase world, out there in the club world. Um, so I think you'd see postgraduates as a mix of kids that find division three opportunities may have high level division one opportunities and then are, you know, redirected to consider the PG year. And what's critical for that player and that student is the buy-in to that year, particularly yeah. if it wasn't their idea. You know, if it was, if it came from a division one coach that said, we're going to, we're going to recruit you, but we're going to put you into the 2021 class, you know, and you're, you're a graduate of high school the year prior, then the most important ingredient for success is that, student buys into the idea of, wow, I'm going to a new environment. It's a growth opportunity. I'm going to play good lacrosse. That's going to come as the gravy at the end of that year. So there's six months there that are, you know, really not principally about lacrosse. Um, that's, that's the pitch that I would give to kids to say, it's about buying. You got to want to be here. The metaphor I use a lot with kids is a lot of these schools look like really good hotels and you don't want to be a guest at that hotel. You want to be a hotel owner. You know, you want to, you don't want to just take your meals and wait for lacrosse season. Um, you want to maybe expand your horizons, attend to a skill academically that you could shore up on. And college coaches want to hear that. You know, they want to hear that those kids are, have rigorous classes. Um, and that, that's not, I'm not branding certain colleges, you know, as being known for that. I, I hear that from, Division one, division three, you know, they want their kids to be challenged on the way in. Yeah, no doubt. And, and there's no doubt that college coaches would rather have a 20 year old freshman than a 19 year old freshman. I mean, every single time. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our roster is uh, it's a four year roster. We could have, you know, five, if you're saying that a PG is something different than a senior. Um, so you, it's, it's kind of an interesting composition of a roster. You could have, um, a non-repeat ninth grader who's, you know, just turning 15, but who's physically ready to take on a varsity workload. 
Um, you could have a repeat ninth grader. You could have a post-grad who just turned 19. Uh, oftentimes I find that kids that repeated in middle school or in ninth grade may in fact be your oldest kids uh, on the team. So a lot of some post-grads were, you know, young in their birth year and may have graduated high school just turning 18 or maybe even 17 and a half. And uh, all of a sudden they're maybe coming into 19 in the, you know, in that postgraduate season in the spring. Sometimes kids use a postgrad year, like you said, because they maybe they slipped through the cracks um, or wanted a better opportunity like Rob Pinnell, right? He came and played. a good example. Yeah. Rob, yeah. there's uh, – I, I think a lot of coaches, uh, we all love the late bloomer story. Uh, it's just kind of neat to see that um, it's a little bit assumptive to think that everyone's got the book on kids in seventh, eighth, and ninth grade. Um, you know, think back to your sixth grade gym class, the kid that climbed the rope the fastest, you know, you'd say, wow, that kid is a Herculean athlete. And then by 10th grade, 11th grade, you're seeing a whole different pecking order, you know, no matter, irrespective of what the sport is. So I love those stories. I, I, I'm a big fan of that kind of mid, mid uh, year entry point. I don't mean middle of the school year, but 10th grade or 11th grade. Mm -hmm. Kids are sort of riding some, a wave of newly found athletic success, you know, um, yeah, they just finally grow. And, and sometimes kids just get unlucky, you know, they, they uh, you know, get mono or break a collarbone or something in their critical summer and all of a sudden they're behind the eight ball big time. And yeah, it's about so hard. there's so many kids out there. Now. Sure. I mean, there's four or five kids um, on any roster at one time that are prob have, probably have a serious injury in their past, you know, that just took a year away from them. May have prompted the college recruiting conversation to include a repeat 11th grade or a postgraduate year. Um, you know, I, I, we've got a few of those on our own team, you know, where it's, uh, they didn't, they weren't playing lacrosse last year. And uh, maybe that was the pivot towards, you know, boarding school. Sometimes coaches will say, Hey, I'll take you if you go to a boarding school. And you, like you said, they might've been a 20, 20 and now they're a 21 other times. Um, you know, kids, uh, like you said, may do a, a, a repeat ninth, 10th, 11th grade. And other times they do the PG year because they, they actually uh, set, their, set their own clock back by reclassing and just, hey, I'm a, I'm a 21, I'm going to play as a 22, and I hope the PG at, uh, at Deerfield. In fact, there was a, a guy that would have been a, a PG for you right now that was planning on, he had, he had planned on PGing at, at Deerfield and then, then ended up going to Harvard because they offered him like a spot, even though he had committed as a 2020 to go to a school like Syracuse. And next thing you know, so you never know how it's going to work out. The bottom line is, is that you guys just pr pr provide an incredible opportunity for this transformative experience. And my son, you know, did the junior boarding school thing. He did a repeat eighth grade year um, and at Cardigan Mountain. And I, I can tell you, it created a level of independence in him and, and, and learned how to study, actually like really learned how to get his work done in a way that has served him incredibly well um, through high school and, and into college. Um, what about the financial aid part? I mean, these schools cost about 55 or 60 grand. Yeah, that we're an expensive proposition. And uh, just your point about your son, I think um, time management is definitely the key to victory here because it's we're busy in a good kind of way. 
But what I noticed with kids, you know, in a campus environment is kids that have that structure where they're accountable to be in different places across the day, probably do better when time feels finite. Um, as a parent, I could uh, attest to that. Most of my kids have been two sport athletes. And in that season off where you're, you might be thinking about wall ball and weight training and maybe a little box across and um, more time with your friends, I find that kids that are in season are actually more productive, you know, because they, they just have to grow up a little bit faster, you know, because, uh, because of the structure. So um, boarding schools are, for the most part, really well capitalized. So there is some sticker shock when, you know, when families go on websites and research tuition, and you're talking about, yes, in, in boarding school environments, uh, mid 50s to mid 60s um, currently. Um, but also the idea that there is a discount rate with boarding schools. Most of us operate from a, what's called a need-based aid framework. So that's sort of consistent with the mission. I don't want to say that's the exclusive way of operating. So there are some schools that are very explicit about uh, mixing their financial support between what's called merit-based aid, uh, like you would see at the scholarship level in college, and need-based aid. So every, every school has its own vision for that. Um, but more and more schools are, are, are putting the transparency of access and affordability up front so that the sticker shock for parents is not a deal breaker. Um, and we want, we want parents and families to make that known early in the process to say, hey, you know, of all the variables that we're considering, location, access, lacrosse, you know, uh, opportunities post Deerfield or post boarding school. Um, we want to know if, if affordability is a, a really critical variable. There are things like loan calculators and financial aid worksheets and families can get estimates by doing a little bit of work up front to say, you know, what might we qualify for? And I think some people might be surprised to hear the level of support that schools provide despite um, a fairly robust household income. And the way I can qualify that is to say, families that have a lot of cash going out, meaning maybe the, the kid coming at boarding school is the second or third or fourth kid, and you've got tuition charging schools you know, for your older sibling, that's gonna work to a family's advantage um, because despite uh, assets and income that may look, you know, substantial, you, you, you've got a lot of pulls on your income, right? And boarding schools understand this. And we know that college lurks behind it, which is another set of, you know, uh, access challenges. So we've got, we've got students on our campuses that come from the entire socioeconomic spectrum. We have, um, we have pe families that pay nothing. We have families that could pay the tuition multiple times. Uh, we look hard for families in between, you know. Um, it's what, what, what admission officers call the barbell effect. You want to populate your campuses and your teams, you know, with, with, uh, with kids from the whole range of socioeconomic backgrounds. It's, it's one form of diversity. It's a really healthy one to have and yeah, to aspire yeah. to. It's not the easiest thing to make happen. Um, 
you know, it's, it all depends on how schools want to distribute that financial aid. Is it, is it straight up need based or, or or is there opportunities where, you know, a, a boarding school wants a particular student athlete? Well, I think it's, um, again, I'm not, it's hard for me to speak for every school, but I would say Deerfield's a need-based school. A lot of our peer schools are the same, but what will happen within those environments is some allocation of aid towards particular institutional wants or needs. Those could be programmatic. Those could be demographic. You know, if you think about okay, what, 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 what do we want our senior class to look like? What's the composition of that class? So in a smaller school, that may be 85 students, 100 students. In a larger school, 200 to 300 students. Um, so schools will be very discreet about, we may, we may have certain uh, programs that we want to prioritize. Those might be athletic programs. They may be um, performing arts programs. Or we may say, we want a certain composition of uh, student demographics across various markers of identity. So we're going to protect aid. A lot of us are hybrid boarding and day schools. You know, uh, my school is about 85% boarding, but we we like the the influx of local kids in the community. Um, you know, as part of that. So we may want to protect some financial resources to support those applicants. So you'll you'll find. You'll find a little bit of unofficial merit, you know, at certain places where um, the, the talk, the external may, may draw you into uh, need-based aid, but most kids on financial aid at schools like ours are fitting under a named endowed scholarship fund, right? So they're yeah. recipients of a particular fund that was articulated towards a particular school need. Yeah. And, and, and so it's good to know because I've seen this over the course of time. Um, somebody needs a goalie. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it, and it's like, well, we have a bed and we actually have financial aid. And, and, and that you can't, you know, the point is for everybody listening, though, is that where there's a will, there's a way. Um, and it doesn't mean you're not going to have to spend more than you would spend if you went to the public high school. But you're getting a lot more, obviously. Um, yeah. And you should expect to, to give to this. But, but at the same time, you know, there are a lot of boarding schools that are looking for great kids that are great athletes, that are serious students, and there's a whole spectrum of that. The Philocrosophy Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Coaches Training Program. If you are a coach interested in sharpening your saw, like so many of the guests on the show, you are going to love the content in this program. Go to www.jm3coaches.com for more information. Let's talk about the academics. Um, some kids, you know, uh, are, are world-class academic level and, and high-level athletic. And, and other kids, you know, maybe struggle with, with maybe they were immature as freshmen and sophomores and don't have a great transcript and now they're getting serious. That, that's, that's a really typical one. Um, I know my brother back in like 1986 graduated from Moses Brown and Dom Stars and said, hey, if you want to come to Brown, you can, but you got to take a PG year. So he went to uh, 
you went to um, Choke. Um, yep. It's a little different now. You, it's hard to go to Brown if you didn't have a very good freshman year. But there's a lot of people that that just weren't mature enough and or, 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 or you know, had an unfortunate situation in the family. You know, sometimes, you know, somebody gets sick and you just you just lose it there for a while and it really yeah. screws you up. I mean, it gives you a chance. Talk a little bit about the different academic opportunities. Yeah, and I, I, I can attest having now lived it on the admission side. There's a there are a thousand and one narratives out there you know, where there might be a, an intermittent dislocation or interruption to somebody's progress. Uh, happy to call myself a late bloomer back in the day. Um, so I know that narrative. Um, you know, the, rain, the, the, this, the mission that schools serve, um, there's a boarding school for anyone, right? Everyone, if families do research to say, what type of academic experience do I really, am I really looking for? And I'm saying that from a, through parent eyes or through the student's eyes. The great thing about the research process is that ultimately students are making the decision as to where they want to go. Um, you know, the hurdle that boarding schools have to navigate with parents is just the boarding school proposition as we talked about at the beginning. But once you're sort of warm to that consideration set, now it's really about students saying, um, what level of challenge do I want? Am I in need of organizational skills? Uh, what level of rigor can I, can I handle? Um, and that's, that's true both within the school and then searching amongst schools. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I, I just advise people do your research. You know, what is the, what is the academic essence of the school? Is it, a, is it a really brisk pace environment? Is it more support than you know, rigor, which sometimes carries a bit of stigma? Um, what's the pace? You know, if, you're, if you're able to visit a school, sit in on a class, um, you know, schools offer that at any point in the, what's called the admission funnel. Is it an open house in the fall? You just kick in the tires, you wanna get the lay of the land. Uh, did you come back for your, for an interview and your tour guide was, was able to have you sit in on a class? Once you're accepted, maybe you have a few options, come in and see a few classes and say, can I, can I navigate this environment? Can I succeed in it? What, what's a healthy challenge? I mean, there are, there are uber rigor, you know, boarding schools. There are schools that whose mission is a little bit more about um, student support, academic skills, attending to particular blind spots in a kid's learning profile. Um, and they do a great job in that, in that kind of support area. And they're clear about that. Um, you know, some schools are very clear that they fill a particular need or niche. And other schools will say, we're, we're here to serve as wide a student you know, population as we can. And I would, I would offer a voice of caution to parents when you read that to say, if a school's billing itself to be all things to all people, then who is it really serving best? You know, is it, is it type A's that are high flyers? Is it, is it kids that are, um, you know, need, need the prodding, need the structure, um, need a little extra guidance beyond the classroom experience. So um, I feel confident that the, you know, even in the Northeast, and I know the Northeast is not the monopoly over boarding schools, but in our cohort of schools, there are schools that serve all different missions, co-ed schools, single gender schools, 
Um, and for, for the student, it's actually about what feels right. You yeah. know, you gotta, and that's why I would say, if possible, visit these places and uh, let this, let the schools kind of speak to you a little bit and reflect on how you felt and whether you feel like you're, uh, you're ready to, you know, put your stake down in that environment. And they do all have a feel. And I was talking to you last night about how 10 years ago when I was starting 3D lacrosse that I really wanted to do a spring break program. So I literally drove around to 25 or 30 New England prep schools with Johnny Bay, by the way. <laughs> and um, and yeah. it was, I, I really wished that um, I had like taken a ton of pictures and like written a little book about it. It would have been an awesome coffee table book of all the prep schools from our little journey. But they all did have a different feel. And they're all... They have a total, you could, you, and even though it was summer, you could feel a difference with, between them. Um, and they all are, have, you know, such great, you know, sort of uh, stories behind the buildings and, you know, there's, there's new buildings, there's old buildings, but it's all, it's all awesome. And like you said, they're all pretty darn well capitalized. And a, they're, they're just all under construction. It seems like there's just more and more facilities. So that's really cool. Um, turning the subject now to, to college, counseling and sort of recruiting help and kind of how that works and how is that an advantage for you? Or are you going to be kind of depending on your club, you know, to help you get recruited uh, or can you also depend upon your, on your college counselors and coaches at school? It's a great question. And, and it's definitely evolved, um, you know, with the prominence of the, the club realm, which is an absolutely necessary cog in this machine. Um, you know, sometimes for inbound students, depending on their age, if they're younger students, ninth or 10th grade, so they are on your way into the school, they're, they're six months away from a lacrosse season, you get a season with them under your belt, you sort of become uh, a de facto college advisor, even though our schools all have formal college advisors that may pick up the relationship with kids. At our school, it's early on in the junior year, you know, all of our juniors will get assigned a college advisor but we all know that you know the varsity coaches are really critical you know uh points of engagement there and I, I find that most kids at our school it's a bit of a partnership with with club coaches it may be unofficial you know I'm not often triangulating with with club coaches but I know that more often than not the club coach may be present in those summer or fall events you know where uh, Deerfield kids, boarding school kids, they're out there playing for a range of club teams. So I certainly get that logic. Um, what I'd, I'd love to see happen more is a little more outreach from college coaches um, to high school coaches to sort of research the intangibles, you know, the say, what's this kid's work ethic like? What, what are his teammates' skills all about? College coaches, uh, know full well and are, and are held accountable for their job and evaluating talent. So they don't necessarily need a high school coach or a club coach to provide that. But I do, I still sort of maybe selfishly harbor the, the idea that um, those of us who live with our kids year round and see them in multiple roles um, and coach them for what is a full, you know, two and a half, three month season, we kind of know what makes them tick that may or may not be fully on display in a showcase model, particularly yeah. when you're out there to, to represent yourself. And I think, I think clubs have attended to this better. Um, 
recently than 10 years ago. I think their club programs are more immersive now. So you'll find kids at the boarding school realm that will utilize both the high school coach and the club coaches as agency, you know, in that process. And sometimes it, it goes all through the club and sometimes it goes all through the high school coach. And a lot of times it's kind of a partner effort. Um, but I, I, I'm really, I, I, I really believe in that intangible part as having been best uh, built, you know, on the school campus. Well, I, I do think with the new NCA recruiting rules um, that the that you're probably heard from college coaches more about the 2021s in their process than you would have from the 20s or 19s when everything was done. You know, it was done in ninth grade. It was done before kids got to Deerfield. Offices. Yes. You know, I had kids. There were inbound kids that were committed that had never put on a Deerfield jersey five, six, seven years ago, and just an interesting. It's an interesting uh, opportunity, sometimes conundrum when you're going into preseason and um, you have the known kids and, you know, high school coaches and boarding schools will have varied opportunities to actually see these kids play. Depends how active we are in the summer and fall. Um, you know, and the expectation now is, has ratcheted up uh, it's not unique to lacrosse. It's true of high school varsity coaches and boarding school about, you know, prospective families saying, well, are you going to get to Annapolis to see my son play in November? And I'm thinking I might, but I, you know, I may have demands on my time. Otherwise I'd love to get filmed, but I know that, you know, some high school coaches are hustling to get down there to, to be visible in that process. I have nothing but respect for that. But, but in boarding school, that occasionally is challenged by other, other demands in, on boarding school time. Yeah, for sure. Um, I want to talk about the scenario where a kid's looking for a PG year. He's uncommitted. And, it, and, and I, I, know, I know one offhand, um, really nice player. I watched his video. Um, he, I don't know, he broke his wrist or something. Yeah. And he was a late bloomer already. He's a 2020. Broke his wrist, missed the summer. Um, I watched yeah. this film. I was like, this kid is impressive. I mean, yeah. like a lefty, slick, like all the things, good size, good speed, all the things you would like to see in a, a lefty attacker. Um, he's, he's, this guy is, is like the classic, yeah, you should probably PG. How, how successful are people at finding a great opportunity for themselves when they kind of go into the PG concept as a senior in high school um, with, with no – you know, with not, not a whole lot of interest, um, because for whatever reason, um, do you feel like it's a, it, you know, obviously the, the school is a great investment with the transformative piece of the academics and international and all that, but, but what about finding a home, you know, uh, for that kid? Is it, is it a smart move to, to go, to go that PG route? I, I, you know, again, I think even in, even in the league that we're, we play in, uh, Western New England Division One. most of us being boarding schools, PG numbers ranging in our league from zero to perhaps 10. But more realistically, you know, most teams might show up with three, four, five, six yeah. postgraduates. And each school is going to be at a different um, access point. You know, some schools are going to line up with pre-placed Division One kids. Some schools will be on the lookout for late bloomers or aspirational division three players. Um, yeah, those are, 
I love those cases. They are hard to navigate. Um, you know, if, so if I was presented with four or five of those kinds of narratives, um, it's sort of investigating how and why that kid's late to the game. Um, I think it's advantage to the kid to know that they want a PG earlier. So I would, I would be more confident and more in support of the kid that called up in August or September and said, I know I need to do this. It's in my best interest. Maybe I missed a year due to injury. Maybe I'm just getting feedback late in the game. I, I blew up as a, as a high school junior, but I missed the division one train. Um, in some cases, yeah, there may, may not, may not be that validation of his ability from the, the club coach. So, you know, we had a guy last year, for example, who, when he was admitted to Deerfield, he didn't know where he was attending the school. He ended up at Westland, Nescac school, very good student. Um, you know, you gotta, you gotta like those stories. You gotta have maybe room for a guy like that on your yeah. roster. You also have to know that that kid has uh, had a lot to offer our school with lacrosse being a bonus. You know, may not have been the best player in your team, but uh, feels more than comfortable in your classroom. In that guy's case, came back to soccer, having not played it, was a varsity starter. There's value in that. Um, that's something we haven't talked about yet, this notion of maintaining maybe a two-sport identity, yeah. which is actually in your best interest when looking at boarding schools because very few of our schools have enough beds to go around for every program to just think of each program in its own silo. Right. So oftentimes it's that maybe it's that late blooming lacrosse player that grew up as a hockey player. Right. And always thought that he was going to play college hockey and then became this robust defensive midfielder in lacrosse and is now hearing, you know, sentiment that says, you know, you might be able to take your lacrosse higher. So presents to a boarding school as a, you know, newly minted lacrosse player, but actually is going to add value to your hockey team. You know, those are, those are the jewels that schools like ours are looking for because um, we, we just make the beds that we're offering count more, yeah. you know, across different programs. Totally. And, you know, coaches, uh, even though there's all these kids committing as juniors now, th this process is later than ever. And even during the early recruiting days, really high level programs were looking for seniors because their rosters change. There's so much variability on, you know, kids, kids transfer, kids fail out, kids quit, they get injured. There's a million reasons why these rosters are so fluid at the division one yeah. level. And, and, and oftentimes, believe it or not, you know, spring is like a time where someone's like, I need a defenseman, you know, um, and it happens all the time. And so, so it's just a, hold out hope for everybody that you can buy this extra year and it can give you awesome opportunities. But let's, let's turn the page now to the actual lacrosse. You know, you talked about, you know, you're going to probably need to play multiple sport, multiple sports. And that's a good thing. And, and, and the lacrosse season is 10, 11, 12 weeks. Um, you know, for a lot of kids, they might actually play less structured lacrosse. They probably yeah. will play less structured lacrosse if they go to boarding school than they would if they stayed home. Yeah. Um, but why is this, why does this work? And why, why do you believe in this? Well, I'm a, I'm a pretty good subscriber to the less is more theory within reason. So 
you know, kids on my team, yes, the 10 to 12 week season, that's March, April, May, they all follow it up with a pretty thorough club season that's June and July. Um, a lot of them will head out into the recruiting space or club space in November, pick off a couple of weekend events. Um, they'll, they'll play, you know, 20 of them will play in a box league this winter on Sundays, keep the sticks sharp, get some curriculum there. We'll use those concepts, you know, in our own season. A lot of boarding schools have indoor spaces, particularly if you're in a cold weather environment like we are. So, you know, there's organized lacrosse, there's preparation for lacrosse, there's wall ball, there's four on four in a field house. It actually adds up to a lot. And I, I personally, as a coach, I'm one of those guys that says, I'll take a little rust at the beginning of the season uh, as a trade-off in order to be trying to peak at the end of the season. And I have seen teams on our schedule that hit sort of that point in late April. And then if you, if you cross paths with them in May, you can, you can quickly see a team that's on the descend as opposed to uh, still getting better, still energized. And I know wins and losses have a lot to do with that, but sure. I actually want kids to miss the game a little yeah. bit. Right. And I'm going to, I'm going to say August, September, October, let's use those three months to actually miss lacrosse. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't mean you're not going to go shoot on your goalies and do one-on-ones. Our guys do that. Everyone does that on school campuses. You know, I tell my own son to do that. And he's in the middle of a soccer season. So if there's one thing you can get better at, just work on your shooting. You know, let's go down and work on shooting. You're not going to get hurt doing that. You're not going to put your soccer season at risk. Um, and then as the winter comes along, more I see more lacrosse kids playing fall sports than winter. But my own team was built on the backs of hockey players 20 years ago. So I was the beneficiary of really good, tough-minded athletes. Pretty much took up all the midi positions, long stick positions. Um, you know, and, and there are a few, still a few winter athletes. Like, who wouldn't want a kid that was a wrestler, you know? <laughs> Maybe it's a face-off kid. Maybe it's just a D-midi. Um, we've had basketball guys. So I don't get in their way when they're in, in varsity seasons at all. So uh, Yeah, it's smart. And I agree. I mean, I, I think that if you, if, if you want to work at your game, you're going to have plenty of opportunity. And honestly, I've really kind of changed my own feelings on this. Um, and, you know, I've got a junior in high school daughter and I could, I could do private lessons with her every day if I wanted to. Um, but I don't, what I do is we just, she plays other sports too. We, we play a little street lacrosse once a week and we play our pickup game and that's all you need. And it, there is an element of less is more. And the more that the kids are doing it on their own, the better anyways. Yes. Yeah. Spontaneity is awesome. They're not, our players are not seeing me or my assistant uh, coach is an assistant football coach and the other assistant coach is coaching JV soccer. So there's no, nothing formal, nothing structured. Um, I love the, the, the kids ability to self-organize in the in, late in the winter when they kind of want to start ramping it up and they might play four on four in the field house. Um, and they're solving their own problems. And if there are disputes, then I'm not there to, yeah. to uh, police that. And I think that's okay. Cause it'll help them solve problems better in the spring. No doubt. 
What, what about strength and conditioning? I mean, I think you look at some, you look at like IMG, you know, uh, which sure. is a, a, a big time academy, you know, which is a little different than, you know, because it's, it, the sports is kind of why you're going there. Yeah. And they've got this amazing strength and conditioning program and all that. Um, how, how do the boarding schools in New England give that, what the athletes need to be able to develop athletically also? Yeah, I mean, we're, we're, we're striving for balance. So I guess in the multi-sport dialogue, I would say, though I admire the three-sport athlete immensely, um, and some kids will come in as ninth graders and, you know, they're, they're pleased as punch to play thirds level soccer or JV football. Um, and then they may taper. So I, I guess I settle on the two sport athlete. I think that's, that's a, that's something that helps you achieve balance. And that leaves you a season, um, to get into a strength program, to work on flyos, flexibility. A lot of our schools have dedicated, you know, strength and fitness folks, um, I don't, we're not going to match IMG. I, I, we trained there for several years. That's an yeah. amazing operation. Um, but I would make the case that the two-sport athlete, um, though maybe you gave up 10 15% on the training side, you gained it back on learning how to be a competitor. Yeah. Um, and maybe you weren't – maybe you are the star lacrosse player, and in your second sport you're competing for a starting job. That's not a bad perspective to have if you're then going to be a captain of your lacrosse team or a multi-year starter where you, you know your playing time is granted because of your ability. So it helps you just understand the team dynamic a little bit better. Yeah, no doubt. It's awesome. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, the timeline um, for folks if they're interested in boarding schools. And maybe you can talk about the, the continuum of freshmen all the way to PGs if you can. Yeah, so um, – you know, we, we, we exist in cycles, you know, so uh, a lot of the, a lot of the Northeast boarding schools, many of us are on covenants or we have um, parallel schedules where we're, we'll notify students typically in late February, early March. Uh, families will then have a, a window of time to decide. Um, so that's the back end of the process. Um, if someone was looking at a ninth grade year, you could start as early as the spring of your seventh grade year, right? You could visit a school, get a tour, interview. We might travel to different markets and admission to sort of present the boarding school proposition. Um, right now in October, it's kind of the high volume interview season. So yesterday in the holiday, you know, a lot of our offices, we probably had 50 students here prospective kids interviewing. Um, though we interview on the road too, you know, I was in Southern California a week ago, meeting kids at a school in LA, doing Skype interviews with kids who live at distance. Sometimes it's a hardship for families to get to our campus. We understand that. So we're, we're trying to make the, the application process as you know, navigable as possible. But if possible, a visit to campus, either at the front end, you know, to interview, to tour, to meet a student, to meet lacrosse players in this situation, very helpful. Just as you said in your, your tour with Johnny Bay, you just get a feel for school culture. You know, what's, what are the touch points of the campus? Um, what's the location? Size may matter to a family. You know, do I want to be 
part of a really large engagement that starts to feel like a college environment? Do I want a smaller school where my role and voice in the school might be a little bit more prominent? Um, but admission is basically a funnel, you know, so we're admission officers are here and coaches as well to try to move people along through that funnel, get them into that, you know, application stage. And a lot of our schools share common application portals, you know, like colleges do the, with the common app, the teacher recs are universal, right? So if a student is thinking, Hey, I really like these five boarding schools, you know, I'm going to apply to five. We don't want you to think that it's five separate application processes. At mm-hmm. the same time, we don't want you to cast a net that's so large that it becomes irrational. You know, so my advice to a kid is to say, only apply to the number of schools where you could actually see yourself there. Yeah. And maybe you'll have the, the run of the table and have multiple options. And maybe some of the selective schools will have to pass on you but at least you'll get one or two, you know, that you're saying, yeah, I, I really could envision myself there playing lacrosse in that program, being a successful student there. And then, you know, you'll have a good outcome. So that's that time frame of, of figuring this out might be uh, in the spring that might be 15 months out all yes. the way through to the fall, which is maybe 10 months out, something like yeah, that. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're always open in the sense of, so if it's a PG, it might be the spring of your junior year, right? Junior year? If you're, ninth, if you're going to be a ninth grader, the spring of your seventh grade year, I know I want to go to boarding school. Be proactive, right? Email the coach. Email the admission office. You know, the sooner you're getting on coaches' radars, tell them about your club ball. Tell them about your summer or fall schedule. Um, send tape if you have it. And I... I I know that's a little bit of an apocalypse for like the middle school parent to be up in the stands taking tape. But nowadays, you know, more events are making the tapes for you, you know, so take that game tape and send it to a coach because ultimately coaches are sifting, right? You're, you're saying, well, I've got, I've met 25 ninth graders. They're not all going to get into my school. I can be an advocate for a percentage of them in my admission process so how, how am I going to differentiate them on the lacrosse side of it? And then how is the admission office going to differentiate them on the full candidate side? How much uh, does it help to have an advocate um, of somebody in the lacrosse world that says, hey, Chip, I got a guy for you. He's pretty good. Or I've seen this kid play. Um, will that help you uh, just the same way a game film could help? Absolutely. Um, and it, it it might be a, a club coach that you know. It might be a D1 college coach, right? If, yep. if Bill Tierney calls me and says he's got a guy, um, you, you kind of respect a lot of people's ability to evaluate talent. And that may be a kid that's looking out at a PG year or a seventh grader on a club team. Um, you know, I've got even a few alums that played at Deerfield a few years ago that are out there in the lacrosse world. I would trust them implicitly, you know, with what they're saying. Um, if it's an unknown, you know, if it's just an email of, and a promotional kind of file dump on a kid, you got to do a little bit of research, right? Um, so it, it's, it's kind of a compilation of yeah. sources, you know, and in, in the same way, high school coaches are then doing some promoting to college coaches 
Um, well, I find a little bit more with division three than division one, you know, it's, uh, or division three coaches, they'll do a little bit more listening maybe about a kid's ability. Um, I, I don't pretend to tell a division one coach who he should recruit or not. Um, I'm kind of a realist in that regard. Um, but to your point earlier about attrition rates in division one, division one coaches only have to get half their recruits, right. To win a national title, right. You, if you got 25 marquee players on a 50 man roster, you're going to be just fine. Right. No doubt. Um, and the division three, the division three coaches oftentimes just, um, haven't seen the kids as much as the division one guys, their staffs aren't as big. They just can't get out on the road, which is why they're going to use you as a resource to be like, Hey, Chip, give me the skinny on this kid, you know, and, Absolutely. and they're going to take your word for it. Um, so, so last question on the timeline is there, there's no impossible time. I mean, if you find out spring of your senior year that like, I need to take a PG year, you know, there's no guarantees, but there's probably a pretty good chance you can find a home. Absolutely. Um, some of the schools will fill up based on their yield with admission. Other schools will have laid beds. I mean, I got to throw this out there. Rob Pinnell is a great example of that. Um, and the irony of that, and it goes back to the multi-school example, is that when Rob Pinnell decided that he wanted to do the extra year, having had a great senior year in high school, um, the reason he was given an opportunity here is because our then Dean of admission had told the basketball coach who needed a point guard that she would leave a bed open for a point guard. So, uh, I was the complete beneficiary of the fact that Rob Pinnell was a pretty capable point guard. And you can see that in his lacrosse game, right? Coming up from behind the goal, yeah. distributing the ball and being very technically precise. Um, so I remember passing on a, another postgraduate candidate that went to one of our peer schools who ended up going to Cornell as a midfielder and playing with Rob Pinnell. And my need was more for a point guard quarterback type guy. And in comes Rob Pinnell as a two sport athlete and, uh, fills the bill for us in basketball. And, uh, you know, the rest is history in lacrosse. So yeah. that, and that was in April or May. So Selective schools may have late beds. A lot of schools, you know, will, will keep their admission offices open, you know, yeah. all through the summer. So you never well, know. That's right. You never know. And like I talked about the attrition at the division one level, there's attrition at boarding schools too, because of the whole buy-in and some people will not buy into the rules. And next thing you know, they find themselves dismissed and it's a sad reality, but it happens and it happens every year, I'm sure. Um, yep. and, and so beds will sometimes open up at different times because of that, I'm sure also, and money. Yeah, and, and, and there are a lot of reasons for separation. Sometimes it's change of family circumstance. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm going to return home due to something that happened on the personal side. So, you know, schools in April and May or June were always recalibrating about, do, are we over-enrolled? Are we right at the number? Do we have, you know two beds in the 10th grade boy pool and one bed in the junior girl pool. And so we're doing a hard target to fill, you know, with candidates out of those pools. Good stuff. All right. Any, um, any things that we forgot that you uh, feel like uh, you should uh, educate us on? No, I, I just want to just harp on the fact of, um, you know, when families are curious about boarding school, they should know that 
expressing curiosity by filling out an inquiry form or attending an open house or coming to a school reception in their city, right? A lot of us travel and hold events there, sometimes as consortium, you know, groups of like-minded schools, sometimes under our own flag that just kicking the tires is by no means, we're not trying, we're not locking you in. Um, I, we want kids that want to be here, as I said earlier. So we want them to, to uh, research it, explore it, feel it. And then when they, when they have those opportunities like Deerfield to sign on with conviction, it's going to make for a better experience while you're here and to be awesome. proactive with coaches. I think that's always help yourself by letting coaches know that you're out there because it's impossible for us to know everyone that's out there. And we know how big the games uh, become. Yeah. Well, Chip, thank you so much for taking the time to educate us on this. Um, incredibly interesting. I'm actually going to uh, turn this into a podcast as well as a webinar so that people can listen. And um, it's great stuff. Good luck. I know you guys are going to have a uh, very talented group. Um, hopefully, I'll see you in San Diego when you're out there. Um, and um, good luck. I uh, hope you win that, Founders. Awesome. Thanks, Jamie. It was, a, it was fun. All right. Thanks, Chip. Take care. All the best. Okay. Bye. The Lacrosse Podcast is brought to you in part by the JM3 Lacrosse Academy. This 10-week online program is designed to teach cutting-edge lacrosse skills and IQ. Athletes will learn dozens of new techniques, creative drills, X's and O's, and most importantly, how to integrate it all into their game. To learn more or start getting better today, go to www.jm3sports.com forward slash academy.